Turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2, we're continuing, of course, our study. We're calling it really the kings of Israel. We think about it, we saw 1 Samuel, which basically saw uh, Saul as the first king of Israel. Then we looked at 2 Samuel, which saw David as the second king of Israel. And now we're in the very first part of 1 Kings, which is going to show the third king of Israel, which is Solomon. And so uh, as we look this morning, we're seeing the, the death of David and Solomon taking the reign of the kingdom. So it's going to be really powerful. It's, uh, we're going to see great truths and principles. This morning, as, I, as we look at this, it's really a sad time in one sense because when we think about David, I always think about King David and a great leader and a warrior and everything, and, and then here he, he dies, you know, and so you look at it and you go, wow. When you think about David, he was a leader, a leader from the very beginning. He was a servant of God, even as he was a shepherd uh, taking care of his father's sheep, he was called a, a servant of God. He was called a man after God's own heart. Even, even though he m- made a lot of mistakes and did sin, he's still a man after God's own heart. He was a soldier, a warrior. He was a songwriter. He's a musician. He could do just about anything. And so when you think about David, I mean, one of these days, you probably get to talk to him and you'd say, David, you were, you were amazing. Well, this morning, the, the kingdom is going to pass from David to Solomon, and we'll see how all that ties together. I think it's uh, pretty special when you when you think about a person and their last words. You know, people have a will, and they'll say, this is my last will and testament, and it gives the information. And when you see in the Bible, you see the last words of somebody. It's really sort of important. Think about it. Moses, his last words to the nation is the book of Deuteronomy. He's standing there on the east side of the Jordan River. They're about to cross the river, and he tells them that they are to obey the word of God. He gives them Deuteronomy 28, and, and and basically talks about blessing and cursing, and he says to them to, to obey the word of God. And then you see Joshua toward the end of his life, after they've already conquered all the land and done everything, he turns and says, as far as my house, we will serve the Lord. And then you see Jesus as meeting with his guys on the Mount of Olives, and he says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then you think about Paul. What did he do? Paul, he said, preach the word and run the race and keep the faith. And so as we look at people's last words, they're pretty important. Well, we're going to see David's last words this morning as he he gives some final instructions to Solomon. And they're really divided into the three things, and we'll see them as we go through it. David charges Solomon in his relationship to self. He says, "Here's, here's what I want you to think about yourself, Solomon. How about your relationship to God and your relationship to others? And when it's others, it's really, it's two individual people and then a little group, and I'll tell you how, how that fits together in just, a, in, in just a little bit, and we'll see that. Let me give you the outline. It's very, it's only, it's only 12 verses. The first part of, and we could have put a lot more detail up there. I just put it for you just so you can see how it fits. 1 through 9 is the charge, and then 10 through 12 is the death of of King David. So let's look at chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Here's where David says this. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, well, it's time for David. He's going to die. He knows he's going to die. He realizes that he's not going to be able to live much longer. So he basically brings in Solomon and charges to him. He says, this is what I want you to know. The, the Bible, the book, of, the book of Hebrews says that it is appointed for men to die once and after that, the judgment. And it is true that uh, all people die. You know, David is fixing to die and he's going to either go uh, to be with God or he's not going to be with God. That's what happens. And the truth is this, that we will all die physically unless the Lord returns. I mean, we all know that Jesus could come any second. There are no signs that Jesus could come in the clouds to take us out. So it could be any second. However, we realize it could be a long time. We never know. Paul lived and when Paul lived, he thought Jesus would come in his lifetime, we think the same thing. Now, here's the bottom line. Unless, 
unless the Lord comes very soon, some of us are going to die. And, and, let, and we're going to all die physically unless the Lord returns. And so the real question is, what's going to happen to you when you die? And we know this, that the Bible says that when you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that moment he gives to you eternal life. And when you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and you will be with Jesus forever. That's called eternal life. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you do not trust in him as your Savior, when you die, you'll be separated from God. The Bible calls it the second death. You'll go, the Bible also calls it the lake of fire. And so the bottom line is this. When you die physically, you're going to go one or two places. You're either going to go to be with Jesus Christ forever, which is called eternal life, which comes by faith, or you're going to be separated from him forever in the lake of fire, which is called the second death, and that's because you didn't believe. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and that you know that you have eternal life, and when you die, if Jesus doesn't come back and get you before you die, to be absent from the body, you will be present with the Lord. That's what we hope. Well, as, as we think about David, he's about to die, and so he's going to charge Solomon in three things. He's going to deal with Solomon's life, and he's going to talk about how Solomon should live. Then he's going to deal with Solomon's relationship to God and his obedience to the Word of God, and all these are applicable to us as well. And then he deals with Solomon and how Solomon should relate. And I put three people. It's not exactly three people. It's actually two different people and then a little group of people, and we'll talk more about it as we go through it. So that's what he's going to do. So let's start start with Solomon, and he's going to talk to Solomon's relationship to himself. Look again at verse 1. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, now watch what he says, I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Now, what he says is, he says, I'm about to die, and what I want you to do, I want you to have courage. I want you to be a man. I want you to, to have courage. I want you to be strong. I want you to show yourself a man. I want you to understand something. Solomon was not a warrior. Solomon was a man of peace. David was always a warrior. Some of his other sons were warriors. But Solomon, even his name comes from the word shalom, which means peace. So Solomon never was a fighter and a warrior, but... David says, you got to act like a man. Be strong. Show yourself a man. And he's saying, I want you to lead. I want you to be strong. I want you to do that. And Solomon wasn't, but basically that's not his personality, but he's got to stand strong. And I want you to understand something else. And we've talked about this before. God's plan for man is that he stands strong. And when we talk about men, and we're talking about the men and men in our families and our homes, the man is the provider and the protector of his family. The man is the defender of his faith and his family. And we ha we're in a culture where men, do well, we're in a culture, they can't even tell you what a man or a woman is. They're so mixed up. We got to have our men stand strong for the truths of the Bible and got to stand strong in their families and got to be the provider and the protectors and defend the faith and the family. And what David is saying to Solomon, you got to be a man because once you you become king, the people are going to be coming after you. You've got to stand strong. And in our culture today, we've got to have our men step forward and be strong, especially the, the believing men and men in our church. We've got to do that. We've got to stand strong, defend the faith, defend
and our families. And so we got to do that. Uh, the Bible says we can do all things through the one who strengthens us. God is our strength and our shield. So David charges Solomon. And let, let me just tell you, what had David done? David had done so much for Solomon. He had designed the temple. Now, when I say David designed the temple, God told him what to do. And he designed this temple, how to put it together. He funded the temple. He got money. He supplied for the temple. He got a lot of the supplies. So when David dies, Solomon has got everything ready to build this temple. It's going to take years to build it. We'll see it how, it how it works, but that's what he said for him to do. Well, that's the first thing, the first charge to Solomon, be a man, staying strong. The second thing is his relationship to God. Look at 2 Kings chapter, uh, chapter uh, 2, uh, excuse me, 1 Kings, it's supposed to be 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. Look what it says. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. The second thing that he tells him is he says, you've got to obey the word of God. You've got you've to stand strong. You've got to go back to the scripture. Look what he says. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. That means to obey the Bible. Live by the scripture. And then he says to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his, his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses. By the way, the law of Moses were the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they had. Okay, that's what they had to look at. He had to keep that. He said that you may succeed in all that you do. Listen, the truth is this. When we stand by the Bible, when we live on the word of God, and when we live our lives based on scripture, there's going to be blessing. We will succeed in what we do. And if we don't live by the scripture, we won't. Listen, I want to show you this. He says four things. He says that, that uh, keep his statutes, commandments, ordinances, and testimonies. The statutes, the best we can understand, were their civil laws. And that was with the food they could eat and the things like that. The commandments, of course, were the Ten Commandments, the first Ten Commandments under the Mosaic Law. The ordinances had to do with the sacrifices, what sacrifices they could bring, when they could bring them, those kind of things. And the testimonies had to deal with the feast and the festivals, such as like Passover and unleaded bread and the Feast of First Fruit and Pentecost and all the different feasts that they had. He says, Solomon, you got to go back to the word of God and you got to base your life on the scripture and you got to obey the word of God. Keep the Bible. We could say to ourselves, we have to go back to the word of God and we have to obey it. We have to live it. That's one of the reasons we teach it on Sunday morning. We we teach it in grow group. We have our SBI classes. Anytime we have Bible studies, whatever we have going, it goes back, whether it's our youth program, whether it's our children, whether it's college, whatever it is, men or women, it always goes back to the Bible so that we can know the scripture. The foundation of our church and the foundation of our lives is the word of God. And David says, Solomon, you got to go back to the scripture and you got to base your life on the word of God. Now, I'm going to show you something. You might not have ever seen this. This goes back to Deuteronomy, and I want to show you this. In Deuteronomy 17, this is long before they had a king, Deuteronomy tells what to do when you have a king. And here's what he says. Now it shall come about, this is God telling them, it shall come about when he, a king, and of course the first king was Saul and then David and now Solomon. It says it shall come about when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom. Watch what he's supposed to do. That he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. The king was to actually make his own copy of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Notice it says this. 
It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he will learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully following all the words of this law and these statutes. He says, listen, copy the Bible, read it all the days of your life, read it and study it, learn to fear the Lord as you go look at the Bible by carefully following the truths, all the words of this. And then he goes on to say, so that, why, why? So that his heart will not be haughty toward his countrymen, that he won't think he's better than everybody else, and that he will not turn away from the commandment to the right or the left. The commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Don't turn away from that so that he and his sons may live long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Now, you realize that every king was to make his own copy of the Bible, read it every day, study it every day, know it every day, so that he could live out the truths of the Scripture, so that he could know it, and so that he could not turn to the right or the left, that he would live righteously and godly. Do you have your own copy of the Bible? The answer is, yeah, I got a bunch of them. I've got my own copy of the Bible. In fact, I've got a bunch. I got ones in all different kinds of translations and everything. Every one of us in this room most likely have our own copy of the Bible that we should be reading every day, that we should be studying, that we should be knowing so that we can live righteously and godly in this fallen world. When we live by God's word, there's going to be blessing. And when we don't live by God's word, there won't be blessing. We have to make a decision. Are we going to know the scripture or not? Are we going to study the scripture or not? That's why I said a while ago, we have to go back to the Bible to know it, apply it, and pass it on. Now, he says, here's what I want you to do. Get, to, get the scripture, study it, and know it. And then in verse 4, he gives the results. Look what he says. So that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. He said, you've got to study it, Solomon. You've got to do what's right because God will fulfill his promise. God made a promise to David. Do you remember what the promise was? God said to David, David, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. He said, David, you're going to have a son come through, through you, a descendant coming through you who will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords who will rule forever on the throne of Israel. We know that's the Messiah and we know that's Jesus Christ. David was promised that through his descendants, the savior of the world and the king of kings would come. But he said this as well. He said, if your sons who come after you if they obey me, if they live righteously, I'll let them be on the throne. Now, they won't be on the throne forever because they're going to die. But he says, but if they don't obey me, I won't let them be on the throne. And you know what happened. After Solomon died, the nation divided. You had a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom. They had king after king after king because they kept dying and, and doing badly. And they had king after king. And then eventually, God allowed the Assyrians to the northern empire and the Babylonians and the southern empire and took them off into captivity. And do you realize that's about 600 years before Jesus was born, five, 605, 598, 585, three times they took them off. Did you know there's never been a king sitting on the throne of Israel since then because they disobeyed God? Now, one day, one day, there will be a king sitting on the throne and that throne will be in Jerusalem, and that king will be Jesus Christ, 
as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to show you this promise. Listen to what he said to David. This is Psalm 89. This is God writing this, and he's writing about David. He says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. This is God saying, I swore this to David. I will establish your descendants forever and build up your throne to all generations. The only way a descendant could last forever is to be the Messiah. He goes on and say, I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. But watch, if his sons abandon my law, do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes, if they do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their wrongdoing with the rod and their guilt with afflictions. He's going to take them off the throne. But I will not withhold my favor from him, from David, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. What did God promise? One day, David's greater son would sit on the throne of Israel forever. That greater son is Jesus Christ. And that's why when David, when Jesus was on the earth, they called him son of David as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me tell you, David says to Solomon, you better live right. You better do what's right. God will fulfill his promise and allow you to sit on the throne of Israel and allow the descendants to sit on the throne of Israel. You understand that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again, offered himself as the king. He was rejected. He is now ascended into heaven waiting. We're in the church. Jesus is going to come in the clouds. We're going to be taken off the face of the earth. There'll be a time period on the earth called the tribulation. The nation of Israel during the tribulation will turn back to God. They will believe in Jesus as Messiah and he will come as the king of kings and the Lord of lords and Jesus Christ will set up a kingdom and he will rule, first of all, for a thousand years on this earth and for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. He is the son of David who will never not rule on this earth and for all eternity. That's going to be the ultimate fulfillment when Jesus comes as the king. We should all be excited because you know what? We're coming with him and we're going to rule with him in this thousand years. All of us who know Christ as Savior are coming with him and we'll rule with him and then we'll be with him for all eternity. That's the promise. So, First promise, to, uh, first statement to Solomon, act like a man. Take leadership. Be strong. The second one is, get your copy of the Bible. Read it, study it, live it out, and obey the word of God. The third thing, he's going to talk about certain people. I said three men, and I, there's three men listed, and I'll tell you more about it as we look at it. But these are people that we're going to learn, or we're going to see the principle of what we call sowing and reaping. You remember sowing and reaping? Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow of the flesh, there's corruption. Sow of the spirit is life, eternal life. And so sowing is, uh, if you sow evil, it results in consequences. You sow good, it results in blessing. And we're going to see this. Now, we're going to see that there's some people listed. I put it this way. These people would be a problem for Solomon. Now, two of them are going to be problems for Solomon. One of them won't be, and I'll tell you how that fits. But David is about to warn Solomon and say, you've got to deal with something. You've got to do something. Watch what he says he's going to do. Verse 5, he's going to talk about Joab. Now, we all know Joab. We know who he is. We've been following him all of his life, basically, with David. Look at verse 5. Now, you also know what Joab, the son of Jeruah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. 
He also shed the blood of war in peace. And he put the blood of war on his belt and about his waist and on his sandals and on his feet. He says, Joab is a murderer. That's what he is. He says, Joab killed two men. He killed Abner and Amasa. And remember, they were two commanders of the northern army, and Joab went and killed them both. They did nothing wrong. Joab, in fact, the word for killed in this passage where it says he killed is the word for murder. He murdered them. And David says, Joab killed people. He's a murderer. He's a man of blood. He should not. You're going to have to deal with him. And he knows that Joab has already aligned himself with Adonijah, the one who wanted to be the king. So he says, you're going to have to deal with him. And by the way, do you also remember that Joab killed David's son? So Dave, what does David say to do? Look what he says. Verse 6. So act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. He actually said, don't let him die in peace. I think what David is saying is you need to go kill him because he's evil. He's done bad things. He's killed two men. He's murdered two men that he should not have murdered, and he killed my son. David doesn't say that there, but he says about the two. And so he says to Solomon, make sure you kill him. Now let me raise this question, and you may be thinking the same thing. Well, why didn't... Why didn't David kill him before this point? Well, there's a lot of thoughts on this, but number one is that he has been David's companion from David's whole life. He's David's nephew, but he's probably older than David. And so from the time David's 14 or 15 on, Joab has been with David, and so they're companions. Solomon is much younger and able to deal with these sort of things. David's very old. And David also sinned. Remember, David killed somebody, had Uriah killed. And so David basically says, it ought not be me handle this. Solomon, you handle this. So you can see Solomon going, oh, so I, I got I to gotta kill Joab. Yeah, that's the answer. Yeah. Well, there's more. There's the next guy. His name is Barzillai. You may remember his name. But show kindness, verse 7, show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Giladite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For they assisted me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Now, you may remember who Absalom is. I mean, I'm sorry, who Barzillai is. Absalom was, was the one that tried to take the kingdom. David had to flee. And when David was fleeing, this old man, old man by the name of Barzillai came with his family and they gave David food and clothes and everything else and said, I'm here for you. When David came back after the victory and he comes back, Barzillai comes to him and David says, Barzillai, I want you to come live with me. You've took care of me. You did everything. I want you to come live with me. Barzillai said, I'm so old. I can't taste anything. I can't. I'd rather just die in my home. But I do have some sons. And so he says, take care of my sons. So David says to Solomon, take care of, give instructions to Solomon concerning Barzillah's sons. Notice it says, let them eat at your table. That means from that point on, just take care of them. They want to come eat there, provide for them, take care of them. And see, what you're seeing is a guy who did bad, Bad things are going to happen. A guy who does good, good things are going to happen. And let's just say it this way. When you live for Jesus Christ and you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, which is a rewarding stand, if you live for him and do good, what's he going to say? Well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't live for him and you don't do good, you're going to be ashamed at his coming. That's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2. 
So the bottom line, now we're not talking, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. We're talking about rewards. We're talking about how you live as a believer. And if you live righteously and godly, he'll say, well done. If we don't, he won't. Well, we see Joab didn't live right. He's going to get killed. Barzillai and his sons did good. They're going to get blessed. We have one more. And that's his name, Shimei. You may remember him. He cursed David as he fled from Absalom. Look at verse 8. Behold, there is with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite of Bahurim. Now it was he who cursed me with a violent curse on that day that I went from my hand. But when he came down to me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now do you remember the story? When David's leaving, because Absalom claims to be the king, and David is going up the Mount of Olives, and they're all weeping and crying. And this guy named Shimei is on the side, and he's picking up rocks and dirt, and he's throwing them at King David, and he's cursing King David, and he's saying, you're lousy, and you're this, and he's throwing everything. And one of David's nephews, Abishai, said, you want me to go cut his head off? I'll go cut his head off. And David said, no, just leave him alone. Well, when they came back with the victory, Shimei realized he was on the losing side. So he comes out to David and says, I blew it. I was wrong. I should not have cursed you when you left. And David says, I tell you what, I'm not gonna, I, won't, I will not kill you. But what David didn't say is, I'll let somebody else kill you. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to tell Solomon to deal with this guy. Notice, he cursed me and I swore I would not put him to death. Look at verse 9. Now, therefore, do not let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man, and you will know what you ought to do to him, and you will bring down his gray hair down to Sheol with blood. He says, you deal with him. Don't let him go unpunished. I think what you see is this. There's a picture of when you live righteously and godly, there's blessing. When you don't live righteously and godly, there's discipline. When we as a Christian say, I'm going to live my life for the glory of God, God blesses us and takes care of us. He always does, of course. But when we live ungodly, there's going to be discipline and consequences for whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every child he receives. And so what we're seeing is the picture. And David says to Solomon, kill this guy. Take care of these people. Kill this guy. Wow. What's Solomon going to do? He says, you're wise, Solomon. You know what Solomon does? Solomon has Joab killed, and he takes care of Barzillai's sons, and he calls Shimei in, and he says, I got a plan for you. See that house right there? You get to live in that house. If you ever leave that house and cross over the river, I will kill you. What do you think he does? We'll find out in the next couple of chapters. So, here we are, verse 10, this is the sad part. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So David slept with his fathers. That means, I had somebody ask me that, what, what does sleep with his fathers mean? Well, it means just like everybody in his family had already died, then he dies and goes to be with those who went ahead of him. That's all it's saying is he died. And sometimes in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it'll talk about the body sleeping, you know, because the soul, the soul and spirit, our, our soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. Our body sleeps until... God raises the body from the dead, and he raises all the bodies from the dead. So he served as 40 years as king. Notice it says that 
Seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Remember when David first came king? It took seven years for the whole nation to unite under him. So he was the king for 40 years. Now, how old was he? He started being king when he was 30. So how old is David? He's 70 years old. There was a time that I thought 70 was old. And now I think 70 is young. <laughs> and David, of course, he's, he's worn out. He's fought all his life. He's it's just a tougher time, a tougher way to live. And so David is dying. And I, I think of David, a leader, a servant, a man after God's own heart, a soldier and a warrior, a songwriter, and a musician. One of the great men of all time. And we know that uh, when Jesus rules in Jerusalem as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Bible tells us that David will rule with him in Jerusalem. Wow, this man. David was like us. He did great things. He did bad things. Think about this. Have you, have you, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you done some bad things? <laughs> We'd all say, well, yeah, I've thought some bad thoughts, done some bad things. Have you done some good things? We'd get, well, somewhere down the line, I'm sure. Uh, that's like David, but the key for David was he never stopped living for God. And then when he sinned, he dealt with his sin. That was the difference between Saul and David. Saul sinned and never dealt with his sin. David sinned and confessed his sin and got back with God. And that's why David is a man after God's own heart. I want you to see something. This is First Chronicles. By the way, you may not realize there's First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. And you may go, what is that? Well, Chronicles actually takes... First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and puts them together mostly from the view of King David and gives us history as well. And so here's what's found in First Chronicles when David dies. This is what it writes. Then he died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor, and his son Solomon reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, which from the first to the last are written in the chronicles of Samuel the seer, in the chronicles of Nathan the prophet, and in the chronicles of Gad the seer. Now, what could those books be? What, do you realize that maybe the chronicles of Samuel is First and Second Samuel, and maybe the chronicles of, David, of Nathan is First and Second Kings, and maybe the chronicles of Gad are First and Second Chronicles? Because see, if you look in your Bibles, and if you look in a, a study Bible, and it'll say, who wrote First and Second Samuel, or who wrote First and Second Kings, or who wrote First and Second Chronicles, nobody knows. And this says... The information about David was written by Samuel and Nathan and Gad. It could be those are the books that are written. I put this right here. These are the men who could have written First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. We just don't know. Now, here's how it ends. Look what he says, verse 12. And Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And so after that, everything went perfectly right? They all lived happily ever after. No, they didn't. All you have to do is read the next verse, okay? And we'll get it next week. What happens after Solomon becomes the king and rules? So let me give you some applications to think about. We'll go through it really quickly. Let's do this. Let's live by the word of God, just as the king was supposed to have his own copy of the Bible, and he was supposed to study it and know it and read it and live it out. 
You and we, we all have our own copies of the Bible. What are we supposed to do? We're to study it. We're to read it. We're to dig it. Each one of us in this room needs to have a time in which we have like a quiet time or we also have a time in which we actually dig the Word of God ourselves, put it together, understand it. We have the responsibility to know and apply the Word of God and to pass it on. Second, and this is for men, let's be strong and lead. Just as David said to Solomon, you got to be a man and you got to be strong and you got to lead. We are the provider protectors of our family. We're defenders of our faith. We're to know the Bible. We're to lead it out. We're to direct our families. That's what we're supposed to do. So let's be strong and do that. The third thing, let's realize the principle of sowing and reaping. You see Joab and Shimei, they, they did evil and they reaped evil. And Barzillai and his family did good and they reaped good. And we know this, that when we live righteously and godly, there's blessing. And when we live in sin, there's discipline. And so one of these days, you're going to stand, you by yourself, me by myself, will stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment is bema, which means rewarding stand. You will stand before the rewarding stand of Christ. And you will be rewarded, recompensed for the things done in this body, whether they're good or worthless. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. So one of these days, you'll stand there, and I'll stand there, and I hope, he says, for all of us, well done, good and faithful servant. If we live righteously and godly, we'll, we'll reap blessings. And then finally, let's be ready for death. Uh, just as David died, all died, unless Jesus Christ comes back soon, uh, a lot of us are going to die. If, if some years pass, we're going to die. And so my question is, are you ready to die? And if you were to die, where would you go? Do you know? I hope and pray that every one of you in this room realize that Jesus died and rose again, paying for sin, and he offers the gift of eternal life simply by faith. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you eternal life because that's his promise. And if there's anyone in this room who's not sure, who said, well, I don't know for sure what would happen to me if I die, right now, right where you're sitting, you can put your faith in Christ that he will give you the gift of eternal life. It's not your works. It's not your goodness. It's not your faithfulness. It's a gift. And he says, I'm offering to you a promise. I will give you eternal life. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, when you walk out these doors, that every one of us in this room know that we have eternal life as a gift simply by faith in Jesus Christ.